Thank you to everybody for your welcome. It was good to be here last week, just as I came to get a, an idea as to what I was getting myself into. <laughs> and uh, it was nice as well to, um, I guess, you know, if we've got visiting speakers coming to our church, it's nice to know something about them before they actually begin. It was, it, but it was really good to be here last week, and it's really good to be here this week as well, especially as uh, there's more of us this week, which is fantastic. I know it's got nothing to do with the fact that you heard it was me speaking. <laughs> Had you known it was me, you might have you might have decided not to come. Hey, who knows? We'll see. Can we pray? Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to just speak what's on my heart. And I just pray, Lord, that you would anoint the mouth of the speaker and you would anoint the ears of the hearers, Father. That the things that are said and the things that are heard, Father, might might just reside in our hearts. Father, I just want to pray that to your glory and to your praise and honour. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good stuff. Good stuff. There's an old proverb... You have to forgive me from time to time because I am old. Uh, um, I know that I'm, I look very young, but actually i am got a few decades behind me. And uh, there's an old proverb, it's, 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 got, it's called teaching granny to suck eggs. Um, and the thing about, I don't know why grannies need to suck eggs, I've got no idea. But <laughs> Maybe... <laughs> hey, for those of you who are grannies, I'll let, I'll let you be the judge of that one. But, uh, <laughs> but um, I'm just so aware that I'm coming into a congregation where the kind of stuff that I'm talking about is just, it's part of your, it's part of your lifeblood. Um, and I feel a little bit, I suppose, like the Apostle Peter, if you remember at the end, the Apostle Peter in his second letter um, getting towards the end of the first chapter there and he says to his uh, the people that are going to read his, his, uh, his, his letter um, I, I know you know this stuff but hey why waste a good sermon I'm going to say it anyway <laughs> that's my loose translation of what he said um, and he said it's important stuff and it's good isn't it sometimes you know, there are some times when the weather's not good and it gets dry and then it gets wet and then it dries out again and something can happen to a house where the foundations aren't right. And sometimes it's good to go back and investigate the foundations. What are the foundations of our faith? What are the things that keep us going? What do we need to take on board if we're going to live this life called the Christian life? to take on our following Jesus. So you'll forgive me if I sound familiar in the message that I'm giving, um, but I want to look at some foundations this today, if we can. Jesus often prayed, didn't he? And once while praying, he said this, this, he said, is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. John 17, 3. And if our text in John 17 is true, I say if, (laughs) I believe it is true, then knowing God, doesn't it, becomes vital. This is eternal life. This is what it's all about. It's the starting point of our Christian life, isn't it? 
It's the goal of our lives as Christians. It's the path that we tread day by day. It's at the heart of everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think, becomes the very core of who we are. This is eternal life. And knowing God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who was sent by God, And in that same letter that Peter wrote where he said, I know you know this stuff, um, they'd obviously been Christians for a very long time, but he finished off that letter by saying, will you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Grow, keep growing, don't stop, don't stagnate. Don't think that you've reached a certain level of maturity, there's always more. So I've called this talk Growing Our Knowing. And if we're going to talk about knowing God, then the obvious place to start is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, isn't it? We all know our scriptures. If you want to look it up, feel free. I'll read it out. Is there a magic genie that can throw up in Luke 11, chapter 4? Sorry, chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. A long time ago on the program, again, an illusion, there used to be a character on the telly called Sooty. Anybody remember the original Sooty? The original Sooty could do magic. And and, and he used to, the way he did magic was to sprinkle oofle dust everywhere. Do you remember the oofle dust? Oh, brilliant stuff. So what we need is a bit of oofle dust on that laptop. (laughs) And see whether we can bring up Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. There we go. Okay, I'll step out of the way in case I'm... It's always the problem. There you go. Is that okay? Am I stopping anybody seeing? No? And Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 4, let's just... Hey, I do that deliberately so people know that I read my Bible from time to time. Uh, Apart from that, where are we? Luke chapter 11, someone's been mucking about with the text again. It's around here somewhere. There we go. So one day it says, Jesus was praying and one of his disciples came to him as he finished and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. And he said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be honoured. May your kingdom come soon. Give us our food day by day. And forgive us our sins just as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Thank you. That's the New Living Translation. Um, You'll forgive me if I change some of the words of that, because the translation that I was using was a different one. I said that this is the obvious place to start. If we're going to talk about knowing God, uh, maybe it's not quite so obvious. And we know this prayer, don't we, as the Lord's Prayer. But I believe that by following this prayer, actually, we're walking on a path that helps us to understand and to know God better than we do. And I wonder sometimes, it starts off in verse 1, that that it was an unnamed disciple who just came to Jesus. Jesus was praying, and uh, he waited till Jesus had finished, and then said, teach us to pray. And I wonder what motivated that unnamed disciple to ask Jesus that question. And as I thought about it, I started to hear another question underneath. And that was this, Lord, you're always praying. 
You're always doing it. What is it about prayer that makes you spend so long at it? We want to pray like that. Teach us to pray like that. And that's a question that we might ask. What is it about prayer that caused Jesus to spend so long at it? Because it didn't seem to matter whether things were going well or whether things were going badly, whether there were big decisions to be made, whether he was seeking direction for the course of his life or whether life was just going along as normal. Jesus turned to God and prayed. That was part of his everyday experience. And when one of his disciples asks for help to develop his prayer life, Jesus then starts and he says, when you pray, say this, Father. Always start with the most important thing. Father. And that word Father is an important word because it says that prayer is rooted in relationship. And that's where we link up with our theme of knowing God, isn't it? So I suppose that if you want to give a subtitle to the talk, because growing your knowing sounds a little bit sort of, yeah. You could call it the Lord's Prayer. What can it teach us about growing in our knowledge of God? Perhaps growing our knowing is probably easier to remember. So the first thing that we need to understand then is that when we pray, we're talking about relationship and the fatherhood of God is is there, isn't it? Now think about a relationship. You need two things for a relationship to grow. Number one, you need time. Number two, you've got to talk. (laughs) And it's no different in our relationship with God, is it? I'm reminded of a story of a Jewish rabbi and his disciple. And the uh, disciple of this rabbi said to the rabbi, when you, when you pray, when you talk to God, what do, you, what do you talk to him about? And he said, nothing. So when you pray, what does God talk to you about? Nothing. Well, why do you pray then? And the rabbi said, well, I guess it's because we enjoy each other's company. (laughs) And when I think of my relationship with Chris, and she does apologise for not being able to be here, by the way. She would have liked to have been here. When I talk about my relationship with Chris, um, we talk. Of course we do. Sometimes we even listen. But hey, that's something else. But most times, (laughs) it's just good to be together. And it's time, it's just being comfortable in each other's presence. And it's like that with God, time with God, just being with him, allowing his presence to to fill us. That's at the heart of what prayer is all about. It's easy, isn't it, to think of prayer in terms of something that God has to answer. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with, with... with with, with sort of God answering prayers nothing wrong with asking God but if we concentrate too much on prayer as something that God has to answer then prayer to us becomes a kind of shopping list and and yes scripture encourages us to to make our requests be known to God in everything it says by prayer and in petition let your requests be made known to God but in the Lord's prayer Jesus saying when you pray say father then that links the Lord's prayer, that links our prayer 
with this recognition somehow that actually God's heart toward us is that he wants us to know him as father. And that we recognise that we're working towards that relationship with him. And that word father is an amazing word, isn't it? Because that word father, wrapped up within it, is the heart of God. And that heart of God is at the heart of our gospel message. We've just broken bread and we've taken wine in recognition of what Jesus has done for us. And there's the heart of the gospel message, that the eternal word who was in the beginning with God and was God came and lived among us, with us, as us. Yeah, the one who was with God and was God was man, as man. And, and that's an amazing thing. And that he came while we were dead in trespasses and sins, enemies of God, to give his life as a ransom for us, to reconcile us to God. That God raised him back to life again and set him in his place at the right hand of the Father in heaven. This Jesus whom you crucified, said Peter on the day of Pentecost, God has made Lord and Messiah. And we know, well, don't we, that this God has given us to those who receive him as Lord that he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, adopting us into his family, not just as servants of God, but his very sons and daughters. So this fatherhood of God, is that's at the heart of prayer. Second thing that we learn, second line of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. You know, one thing that we can say about relationships is that they don't become full-blown overnight. Like I've said, they need time, they need working on. And a relationship with God is just like that. You see, when we spend time with God, allowing his presence to surround us, to fill us, to start to learn who he is, we learn that God is Father, yes we do. But there's something else we need to take on board, and that is, he's not like us. All that he is, all that he stands for, every aspect of his plans and purposes, they're totally different from our natural inclinations. And that difference, that gap between us and God, is the basic idea in mind when scripture describes God as holy. And it's important to remember that as we pray. And there it is, after Father, hallowed be your name. Holy, your name is holy. Think about it. If we focus exclusively on God as Father, we can fall into thinking that his kindness, his goodness, his mercy and grace and forgiveness, uh, which is limitless and inexhaustible, it means it doesn't matter what we do or say. Well, he'll forgive us anyway. He loves us anyway. And we turn God into this benign being who's like everybody's favourite uncle, totally sort of giving out everything. You know, he's a fiver, he's a... And we say, God is our Father. Of course He is. His kindness and goodness and great mercy and grace and forgiveness, they are. They're limitless. They're inexhaustible. But yes, He's also holy. He's not like us. His ways are not our ways, it says, doesn't it, in Isaiah 55. His thoughts and our thoughts are not the same. <sighs> hey. He's God. <laughs> he's God 
And if he's God, we're not. (laughs) And sometimes we can forget that, can't we? Yeah? So this leads us into the third point. But actually, God has the final say. Because when we pray, we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We know, don't we, that in any relationship, that relationship is only as good as the ability of each of the partners to love the person in front of them. Can I say that again? (laughs) Our relationship with our partners, I'm talking about anybody that's in a kind of sort of a, in a marriage relationship, I suppose. Apologies to those of you who are are single. Um, But any relationship is only as good as the ability to love the person that's actually in front of us as they are. Now, of course, no one's perfect. We could all do with a tweak or two to our characters and personalities, our motivations and our goals. But in that close relationship, isn't it easy to suggest ways that your partner can improve? (laughs) It would be so much better if, (laughs) if you did this, if you did that. And it would be, of course. But I can speak from experience when I can say that my own marriage made a significant change for the better. When I resolved to understand where I could, to accept if I couldn't, and if anyone needed to change, then let the spotlight fall on me first. Understand where I can. I'm a bloke. I don't understand (laughs) so much about my wife. I've been married now for more years than I've got fingers and toes. And if I borrowed your fingers and toes, I'd probably still come short. But there are still times I look at my wife and I think, I don't know you. <laughs> so there was the rule. Understand where I can. Accept where I can't. And if anyone needs to change, let it start with me. And sometimes we can get a bit enthusiastic in our prayers, can't we? Have we been there? <laughs> And we start to tell God what he has to do. You know, we're praying fervently. We can quote scripture at God. We might even be preaching him a little mini sermon as to why it's a good idea that he should do the kind of things that we're praying about. Uh, And it's almost as though sometimes we can suffer from a kind of spiritual dyslexia. Where we take the words, the letters of the word God and we rearrange them and come up with a different word. And we think that he's there at our command and so says Jesus your kingdom come in any relationship we need to know where the boundaries are and we acknowledge don't we that it's God that has the final say and if God has the final say it then I'll save a load of hassle if we say yes (laughs) when he says anything to us So we pray your kingdom come and we're acknowledging that the way that we see his plans and purposes working out is not necessarily the way that he sees it. And now in our prayers then we're starting to enter the realm of asking for things. But that asking is based on a solid foundation of who God is. That he's Father. That his love for us, his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his forgiveness... They're limitless. They're inexhaustible. And he's holy. His mind, his will, his purposes, his character, his nature is so different from ours. And that he has the final say.
So we're spending time with him. We're allowing his presence to surround us, to fill us. And as we do that, I think we find that our prayers actually, as we are shaped and moulded by that, so our prayers become shaped and moulded by that. And we more correctly reflect in our prayers. The kind of prayers that God wants us to pray. And the kind of people that God wants us to be. So what kind of people does God want us to be? Well, when we look at Jesus, he set his focus on discovering what God was saying and doing. Remember, he said, um, quotes from John's Gospel, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. John chapter 4. And the son does nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing in John chapter 5. And then in chapter 8, we find Jesus saying, I do nothing on my own, but I speak as the father has instructed me. So Jesus then had to learn the ways of God and to discern his will. Jesus, you're always praying. Why? (laughs) Well, maybe that was what he was praying about. God help. (laughs) What's the way forward? You see, Jesus lived a life as a human being. We sometimes forget that, don't we? We so get carried away with the fact that Jesus was divine, that Jesus came from God, that Jesus was God. We sometimes forget that he was actually a man. And he became a man just like us. Sorry for you ladies. He became a human being just like us. You know, and as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time with Jesus, we learn to imitate his mindset. Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi, looking at chapter 2 now, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to list. What were the characteristics of having the mind of Jesus? We're told that he didn't regard his equality with God as something to be exploited. We're told that he emptied himself. We're told that he took on the form of a slave, that he humbled himself, that he became obedient, even at the cost of his own life. When we pray, do we see that as a way of doing great things for God? The way of greatness, as Jesus reminded his disciples over and over, and as Paul has just reminded us here, is the way of following in the footsteps of Jesus. Do we want to know the power of his resurrection? Then the way is by becoming like him in his death. It's not easy, is it? It's a lifelong process. Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Philippians, was getting towards the end of his life. Um, And he said, didn't he... I haven't already attained this. I haven't. I'm not anywhere near this goal. But this one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I keep plugging on. I press on towards the goal. And we see that too in the life of Jesus. Just before his crucifixion in Gethsemane, he had to wrestle in prayer. We can read that account so often and we forget that there's a time span in that prayer. We read the simple thing, God, I don't want this to happen, but it's okay. But I'm all right if it's okay with you. And it's so easy to read it like that. But we forget that there were, it was a long time wrestling before Jesus could finally say, I submit myself to your will, Father. Not easy. 
Next line in our prayer. <laughs> we learn about God being our provider, don't we? We learn that God is provider. As we spend time with him, as we pursue him in prayer, we submit to his will and we learn that we can trust him for provision. There's an oft-quoted reference in which Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and everything that otherwise takes up all your time, your food, your clothes, your health, your cat, your dog, your goldfish, all these things are important. They'll be added to you, but seek first the kingdom. You know, when we look at, again, looking at Paul, it was his trust in God's provision that could enable him to say, I've learned the secret of being content. I mean, I'm just picking up what Michael was speaking about last week. Those of you who were here, you would have heard Michael speak about these kind of things. I've learned the secret of being content in any and all circumstances. I know what it is to be well-fed and to be hungry. I know what it is to have plenty and I know what it is to be in want. How do I do this? I can do all these things in the one who empowers me. And Paul again, in the face of an intractable condition that prayer seemed unable to budge, and I think of my Chris's fibromyalgia here, Paul learned to be content and to trust in the God who said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. Hey, time. We're going on. <gasps> hurry, hurry, hurry. Here we go. <laughs> and then Paul goes on and he says, doesn't he? I'm not ashamed of my weaknesses. In fact, I'll boast about my weaknesses. Yeah, I'm not going to allow my weaknesses to stop me doing what I feel that God is asking me to do. <laughs> hey. My power, because what's important is not how strong I am, but how strong he is. And uh, he is our strength. Yeah, he's our provider. Gives us what we need. And we can, we can learn to be content. And I have to say, like Paul, I could, Paul, I could just transpose Paul's saying in Philippians here, not that I've attained all this, one of the rules of preaching is that you're supposed to preach out of your experience. <laughs> and I have to say, like Paul, I've not, I've not, I'm not anywhere near that yet. I've got to say it. But one thing I do. <sighs> yeah, keep going. Keep going. Focus on the goal. Focus on what you're doing. Fifth point, where are we? Ah, forgive us our sins, because we too forgive those who sin against us. And I think one of the things that, I'm, that I've learned in my Christian life is the importance of being honest with God. Point number five for me in our talk. Point number one, God is our Father. Number two, he's holy. Number three, it's his will that must prevail, not ours. He's God, we're not. Point number four, he's our provider and we can trust and we can rest in that. That's what trust is. And that word trust, 
which is elsewhere translated faith. We sometimes think of faith in a different kind of way, but the basic idea of faith is that we're trusting, that we're resting in something. And the fifth point then, we need to be honest. Scripture tells us that God knows us intimately. He knows all our secrets, he knows our weaknesses, and he still loves us. That's amazing. But he expects us to be honest. If we mess up, and who doesn't, it's the simplest thing, isn't it, to confess it. How many people know that the word simple and the word easy don't mean the same thing? Yeah? Simple to confess it. God, I've messed up. Easy? I've got a picture in my mind of a little boy. Not too far away from myself as a little boy. My mum was an excellent baker. She made the most fantastic cakes. And whenever she made a batch of cakes, my nose would grab a hold of me. Have you ever had this experience? My nose would grab hold of me and drag me into the kitchen just as the cakes were coming out of the oven. (laughs) And mum would say, don't touch those cakes. (laughs) So what did I do? (laughs) Oh, my mum's rock buns were absolutely fantastic. And there's that current or that sultana. It's just poking out. And I just, ah. (laughs) Darn it. It's that little depression in the cake where where, where the sultana was. She'll know that I've been at the cakes. Better destroy the evidence and blow me down. As soon as the cake was in my mouth, there it was, bulging cheeks. Mum comes into the kitchen. (laughs) You've been at my cakes. (laughs) Isn't it amazing? You try and bluff it out. (laughs) Oh dear, and every, every attempt to deny the fact that I'd been at the cakes, there was Mum looking at me with bulging cheeks. Uh, and there was mum covered in cake crumbs that I just sort of sprayed out all over <laughs> We find it so hard, don't we, to own up. Think of our own relationships again. We find it so hard sometimes. You know, if we've, you know, we do something wrong and, and we think, oh, you know, we've upset our kids and it was our fault, not theirs. It's not always easy to say, sorry, I messed up there to your kids. And it's not as easy to say that to our partners. Um, People that we love, people, you know, not just in now within families, but in any friendships, good friendships. It's so it's so hard sometimes to say, yeah, I messed up. And the stupid thing is, is that when we sort of hold on to these things with God, his heart is just bursting with grace and forgiveness. It's his grace, his kindness, his mercy is limitless and inexhaustible, isn't it? John 1, 9 Sorry, 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I like Psalm 103 where it says, Yahweh is merciful and gracious. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities, as the heavens are high above the earth. So great is his love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west as far as you want to go that way and as far as you want to go that way position yourself at those two extremities 
And that's how far God has separated us from our sins. So, point number five, really. As we come to God and we say, forgive us, what we're doing, we're just being honest with him. And while we're at it, let's be honest then with one another. And with ourselves. About our failings. And let's also remember that that line in the Lord's Prayer encourages us to extend the same grace towards other people that God has extended towards us. Nearly there. Still with me? Still there. Brilliant stuff. So the last phrase. In my, the scripture that I was using, it says there, keep us from, from yielding to temptation. In Greek, so I'm told by people that know Greek, I don't, that the word temptation and the word testing are the same Greek word. Um, what did the writer of, of this gospel intend us to understand? Was he talking about temptation? Was he talking about going through hard times? I don't know. Probably both. But uh, I'm focusing on the fact that, that God is our protector here. Paul tells us, doesn't he, that prayer is a vital part of the armour that God provides to keep us safe in our fight against evil. We're in a battle. And it's the battle for our very lives. And our foe is quite malicious. He comes to kill and to destroy. He intends our complete destruction. No wonder Jesus tells us to pray, keep us from hard testing which is what my version of the scripture that I was using said. Keep us from hard testing. And we know, don't we, that we've got brothers and sisters in various parts of the world who are going through really, really tough times. And that's what they're born into, and that's what they die still experiencing for years, for decades. They face this relentless hatred of the people around them. It's difficult. Pray is, is one of the bits of the armour. We sometimes leave that one out. Well, if you've done this series on the armour of God, and we stop, don't we, at the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, interesting in that one, the sword, which is the Spirit of, uh, sorry, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God relates to the Spirit, not the sword. In Greek, did you know that? Just something for you to think about. <laughs> but there you go. But Jesus then encourages us. And as we pray, we get that kind of encouragement, don't we? In John 10, Jesus spoke of himself as a good shepherd who protects his sheep. And he assures us, no one can snatch my sheep out of my hand. Yeah, my father is greater than I. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. God is the one who knows his own. The Lord knows those that are his. It says in scripture, he knows who are his. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And later on, just before his death, he said to his disciples, in this world you will experience trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Often our battle is defensive. We're just required to stand our ground. But sometimes we need to go on the offensive. To actually face up to the devil and say, hey, we're coming to get you. Sometimes it's like that. 
I'm reminded of the time when Jesus' disciples tried and failed to cast out a demon from a boy. And when Jesus arrived, you remember he'd been up the mountain being transfigured. Uh, And when he came back and he saw the uh, disciples uh, struggling like mad, um, and Jesus arrived then and he did, he cast out the demon. He did the necessary. And later his disciples came to him and said, why couldn't we do that? (laughs) That was a good question. Because it's only just a bit before then in the Gospels that we read that Jesus had especially given them authority over the over evil spirits, to cast out evil spirits. So when they said, why can't we do that? They were asking a sensible question. And do you remember Jesus' answer? Yeah. And he said, this kind can only come out by prayer. Strange answer, in one sense. Because if it was us, we'd say, right, let's have a prayer meeting. <laughs> gather everybody round. Jesus didn't do that. He just, wait, you, out. And the demon came out. But what gave Jesus then the ability to expel the demon? It's the fact that he had a, he lived a life of prayer. And you see, we're coming back to the starting point, aren't we, really? It's, he lived that life of prayer. Prayer, communion with his Father, was part of Jesus' DNA. Everything he said, everything he did, was grounded in prayer. And we're invited to do the same. In the story of creation, we're told that God made people in his own image. We're created to be like him, to act like him, to think like him, to speak like him. And if we're going to be agents of God's kingdom, then we've got to get to know him. If we're going to be like him. And that means we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, teach me, teach us to pray. Should we pray?